May we take our Bibles, please, and turn to chapter 4 of the Gospel of St. Matthew. Matthew chapter 4. And we begin with verse 3. And when the tempter came to him, he said, If thou be the Son of God, command these stones to be made bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of the Lord. When I look out over this congregation this morning, I see an entirely different side from what I saw last Sunday morning. You people are well-dressed. You have on nice coats, good-looking hats. You all look very healthy. I know you've come from comfortable homes. I know you've all had a good breakfast, or at least a good cup of coffee. I know that you anticipate a respectable meal when the service is over. You'll have some meat of some kind, you'll have potatoes, you'll have salad, you'll have other things. And uh, you have very little, so far as the material things of this world is concerned, that, that you really need. They say that we live in an affluent society. But I've just come from the Far East, especially from Korea, where the people don't have what you have. Very, very few people have what we possess. And I've been preaching to congregations. We were in a great meeting where the people sat there. It was cold. And if they had any coats at all, they were worn, and some of them were ragged, and they're poor. We went out to visit our orphanages, which we're supporting, and they're nothing to brag about. Just plain buildings with four walls, nothing on the floor, little square windows, and either... Some of the windows don't even have glass in them. They just have some cellophane that's been put up over them. And there's a well out in the center of the little square where they lift up their water. And, and uh, maybe out to the side there's a little barn where there's a cow or two. And uh, here the place is just filled with these children. They all sleep on the floor, a dozen of them in one little room. They all have little hooks on which they get up and fix their clothes, and about all the clothes they have is the, the suit they have on and then an extra pair that they've got tucked around somewhere. And they're poor. They're very poor. They don't have the medical attention that we have available to us at all. And uh, some of these little orphanages where we had, it showed had a little runny nose and... There wasn't anybody there to wipe it off or to look after them. 
And we live in an entirely different world from the world out there in Korea and the world where I have been. Uh, we were in one Korean house of one of the pastors down in South Korea. He had about two rooms is all he had and had the only wallpaper he had was newspapers hung up on the wall. But uh, we don't live in this kind of a world. We live in a world of abundance, a world of plenty, a world of comfort, a world of real convenience. We have it. There are very few women in this church that don't have washing machines that nobody ever gets out of scrub board anymore and gets some lye soap and puts it over your clothes and rub your knuckles on the board anymore. Women in this church don't get sore knuckles washing clothes. Maybe you do. I may not know all of you. But uh, out there, that's all they have. If they wash, they put it in a bowl. They got a can out there, and you watch them in there scrubbing with the old-fashioned way of scrubbing. They haven't gotten over that period yet. But we live in a world of plenty where we have bread. They live in a world of poverty where every piece of bread or every little bowl of rice in many instances is the last thing they have. And they think of food and hand-to-mouth existence. And many of you people have deep, sea, deep freezers frozen up with all kind of beef that will take care of you for six months. And more than that. But they don't have anything like that. I've come from a world of poverty, a world of real uh, need uh, in that section of the, of the earth in which we live. And when you come to this text that I have, it's taken from Deuteronomy, it's taken from the words of Moses, it's taken out of an entirely different setting, a different context, but nevertheless the application is identically the same. God had led the children of Israel out of Egypt. They had left the flesh pots, they had left the leek and the garlic, they had left the comforts of their slavery where they at least had some food. And God had led them out into the wilderness, and he led them with a high and a mighty hand across the Red Sea, he parted the waters. And he led them to uh, Mount Sinai, and God gave them the, the uh, Ten Commandments, and then they turned aside in their wickedness to their idols that they made, the golden calf. And when they got out there, they cried against God, and God fed them. He fed them with the manna that he provided for them. He fed them with the quails that he gave them every day that they might have the food that they needed. And then they came over to Kadesh Barnea. They made the short journey, and Moses told them, The land is here. God's going to give it to you. And just as the Lord delivered you from Pharaoh and wrought many mighty miracles, and he brought you across the sea, now go into that land of Canaan, and the same God will go before you. The same God will open up uh, and work miracles for you, and the people of that land <clears throat> will be your possession, and you can take the land of Canaan. And so they sent over the spies. And the majority came back and said, the land's too big, too many giants, too many high walls. Uh, it's a land that has everything and we can't possibly do anything with it. And then there were just two of them, poor Caleb and Joshua. They brought in the minority report. 
And they said, The land has full of many great people, but our God has promised, and our God is able, and our God will deliver us. But the people listened to the majority report, and they didn't want to go. And so God cursed them, and God told Moses, said, Moses, you turn back and go back down by that wilderness route, and I'm going to keep you out there, and I'm going to keep you in that wilderness till every single person that complained against me is dead, and their dust is in the wilderness. And the little children of whom they said they would be devoured. They would suffer if we went into the land of, uh, land of Canaan. If we went into that land, our little children would be a prey to the big giants of that land. We will save those little children, and they'll be the ones that'll go in and possess the land. And so for 40 years, 40 years, these children of Israel wandered around that wilderness and God fed them. And when they complained against God and they even complained against their food, they even complained against the manna and complained against the quail. And Moses turned and he said, you must learn one lesson that man does not live by bread alone. Man does not live by the bread of Egypt. Man does not live by the quails and the manna that God provided in the wilderness. Man does not live by bread alone. But he lives by every word that cometh from the mouth of the Lord. And as you read the account of God's dealings with the children of Israel after they came out of Egypt and they came to Sinai and they came to Kadesh Barnea and then they turned back and went down for the 40 years of wandering in that wilderness. As you read that account, God is constantly telling the children of Israel that he wants them to have a heart which fears him. He wants them to have a devotion which obeys him. He wants them to be unto him a peculiar people, an obedient people, and a people whose confidence and whose trust is only in their living God. He doesn't want them to put confidence in the kind of food they had. And you know, the children of Israel came and they murmured against Moses, and they complained against Moses, and they cried out against Moses, and they said, let's depose him, let's get rid of him, and let's go back down into Egypt. We had some food down there. We had some flesh pots down in Egypt. At least we were slaves, but we could eat. And we also had leek and garlic, and you can still get the smell of it, and let's go back and get rid of Moses and go back to our leek and our garlic. And there was rebellion in the camp of Moses over food. Over food. And Moses told them, man shall not live by bread alone. Man shall not live by bread alone. He kept trying to tell all of them that the important things didn't pertain to bread. It pertains to God and to obedience and fear and trust in the living God. And that's the story that you have in the context of this uh, a text which we've taken today. In this fourth chapter of Matthew, our Savior is under trial. He's under temptation. Satan has come to tempt our Redeemer. And he's taken him up into the Mount of Temptation, the High Mount as we call it. And when he gets him up there, the very first question that he asks, If thou be the Son of God, 
if you're the Son of God, will you command these stones down here to be made bread? This world needs bread. I'm interested in being in the bread business, uh, he said to Jesus. And I'm interested in saying that we get enough bread and you just command these stones to be made bread and that'll prove that you're deity and that'll prove that you're everything you want to be. And if you'll just command these stones to be made into food for the people, then that will demonstrate to everybody that you're the Son of God. And as the Son of God, you're the one who's going to feed the nations, and you're the one that's going to feed all the peoples. And if you'll just feed them bread, then they'll be satisfied. And Jesus said to the old devil, you don't understand the nature of man, his being, his spirit, his soul. You don't understand that I've come to deal with his soul. You don't understand that man shall not live by bread. Man's going to live by the word of God. And the word of God which I have to bring and the word of God which I have to give is the bread of God which cometh down from heaven and giveth life unto this world. And the Lord Jesus Christ said, I am the living bread. I am the bread of life which came down from heaven. And if any man will eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the great mission of our Lord Jesus Christ was to give to sinners life, to give to hungry souls the manna that God alone can provide for their souls. And the great mission of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ was to save sinners and to give to them the treasure of everlasting life. And then after he tells us all these things, a little later he turns and says, if you'll seek first this kingdom, if you'll seek first the things that have to do with heaven and the things that have to do with eternity, if you'll seek first these mighty things that have to do with righteousness and with the Spirit, if you'll seek first these things that have to do with my law and with my truth well I'll see that you're taken care of we'll add these things unto you and God will take care of you and beloved I stand in this pulpit this morning after I've come back from traveling through the far east of this little world on which you and I stand and I believe there's one reason and only one reason God has blessed my country and made it the greatest and most powerful country on the face of the earth. The reason is that our forefathers came here that they might worship him. And in this land of ours, we've had the preaching of the word of God as it's never been preached on any other piece of property on the face of this earth. We've been a God-fearing people and we've written some of these mighty concepts into the structure of our land and in the laws of our land and we have been a people who feared God. But as we put our attention upon man, then the blessings of God, they will be taken from us. And as we turn to think primarily about the physical and the material considerations of life as we're being tempted to do right now, then we lose the blessings of liberty and we lose the delights that belong to the Spirit of God. Man shall not live by bread alone. Now there are two or three things in connection with this Korean ministry that you and I have. Somehow or other, I have a feeling, and I, I do have the feeling, very, very decidedly, that these Koreans who have taken a stand for the Word of God, they love the Word of God. 
I ask in these meetings, how many of you have the Bible? And up goes these black Bibles. Then you get close to them and they're worn. The one thing these people do have, and the one thing that they possess with greater delight than any other thing they possess, is just the Bible. This is it. They would rather have this book than anything else. And furthermore, beloved, they know it. They read it. They hear it preached. And these Korean churches, beloved, when I was out there in 1949 with Dr. Clyde Kennedy and with Arthur Slatt and Dr. Holcroft, Dr. Kennedy and Dr. Slatt have gone on to be with the Lord and Dr. Holcroft and I are the only two left of that great mission in 1949. And 500,000 people left the ecumenical movement and came out. And they left it because of their belief in this book and the commandments of this book that they sought to honor. And they left everything in order to be true to the commandments of this blessed book. And beloved, the effect of that has gone into the Baptist world, it's gone into the Methodist world. The Methodist church over there has just split right down the middle and the new groups that are coming out of the Methodist church, the old Presbyterian group that still stayed with the missionaries, they were out of the ecumenical movement, they keep coming away and coming away even from their missionaries that are in the ecumenical movement. While I was there just shortly, 11 more churches pulled out of their group and came over and joined one of our groups. And here we've got the Baptist and we've got the Methodist and we've got the Holiness and we've got the Church of God. It's not a Pentecostal group, but it's a good uh, Bible-believing group. They call themselves the Church of God. And now we have these various Presbyterian groups and they have all come with us because they have put this book and the Word of God above bread, above these material considerations. And I am so happy that I can come back from Korea this time and report to you that down in Pusan, the southern part, the very southern part of Korea, there are 500 churches in what they call the Korea Pots, another group of Presbyterians. And this is a group of Presbyterians that were particularly uh, influenced by Dr. Holcroft years ago. But they are the group that split away from the Presbyterian Church back there, way back there, over the question of worshiping at the Japanese shrines. The Japanese came in and they occupied Korea for many, many years. And in that occupation, the Japanese tried to compel the churches to conform to their shrine worship and to make them bow down to the emperor. And they did it in their schools, and they did it in the churches. And many of the Presbyterians, under the recommendation of their missionaries, went out and bowed down to the shrines and did the necessary obeisance that satisfied the Japanese rulers. And there were these ministers that refused to do it. And one of these pastors was dear Pastor Han. He's still alive, and he came to our Congress in 1954. And he is one of the two leaders of the Koryapai. He was in prison seven years under Japanese rule because he wouldn't bow down to the shrine. 
Beloved, when I got out there this time, every time we've been there, we've been to see these men, we've had a chance to talk to these men. When I got out there this time, I was told the story how the General Assembly had met. The General Assembly wanted to join the International Council. They'd come to see that our stand was for the Word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. And the Assembly had authorized them to let their committee, their General Assembly committee, with the moderators of every Presbyterian and the chairmen of their committees to meet. And when Dr. Mackin entire came again to Korea they were to sit down and talk with him and get him to answer all the various questions that were in their minds or had been raised by any of the people when I arrived in Pusan these men met us at the airport quite a delegation we went down to this little hotel and they said they want to see me and we went up with my bags to the room and we didn't even get a chance to sit down they said we have a message and they delivered me a series of questions and they said we want you to give written answers to these questions and I said well how soon do you want them they said right now I said all right we'll get them for you they said we're going to have a meeting this afternoon we'd like to have you come and meet with us I said we'll be there so they took us over to their seminary immediately and I spoke to the seminary. Here they had around 200 and some odd students in this theological seminary. Well, then we went down, they served us a Korean dinner. And the Korean, one of these, they served us like you'd serve a king or serve a prince or somebody else. The best that they could possibly get together, they just wanted to give us. Touches your heart, beloved, when you see it. It does touch your heart. And then we went over to their church and they sat us down and had these little chairs for us to sit on a little table. And here they came with all their questions. Every kind of a question that you get. Every criticism I think it's ever been made against us, they had it written down. And so we sat there and we answered this and we answered that and we answered this. When we got through, they said, well, now that's all. And they let us go. They told us they'd been meeting for three days discussing this matter. Three days discussing. And so after it was over... We went down to have another little dinner. Every time I went anywhere, they, they fed you. We were fed three and four times a day. They have, they're kind of like the British. They have a morning meal, a, noon, a midday meal, a noon meal, an afternoon meal, and then a late afternoon meal, and then an evening meal, and then still another snack later on. Uh, they just fed us and fed us and fed us and fed us. We went over to this place, and finally the moderator came into the meeting. He says, great victory, great victory. And then he reported to us that they had just voted unanimously as a General Assembly's committee uh, to join the International Council of Christian Churches and that this was their responsibility and that it would reported, be reported back to the next General Assembly for their, uh, for their approval. 500 more churches in Korea coming into the fellowship of our International Council of Christian Churches. Beloved, it's the word of God above poverty, the word of God above refugees, the word of God above orphans, the word of God above all these material considerations. And here are these dear people in their poverty. Here there's deep, dear people in all the extremity of their suffering saying that we are going to stand with those on this earth who believe in this blessed message of redemption and who believe that the Bible is the word of God. And it's out of that poverty, Paul speaks of it in Thessalonians, it's out of that poverty that they come with their devotion and their love. And beloved, I believe that God Almighty has raised up 
you and me and raised up a 20th century Reformation Hour broadcast with its voice being heard in communities across the land to make an appeal for assistance so we can go in there with some real assistance and some, some gifts of love to Jesus Christ. And when God says, you take a stand, and I'll be a father to you, God's using us in our position where we are to help fulfill the promises of his word to these Koreans who put the word of God above every other consideration. The one thing that God wants to see in us, the one thing that God delights to see in us, is that which he saw in Abraham when he tested him. Thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son. God wants to see in our hearts and to see it expressed in the giving and the actions which are manifest by us a devotion to him which is above father, above mother, which is above son or above daughter which is above the food that we eat and the possessions that we have. God delights to see in us an allegiance to him, which counts every consideration of a secondary manner on this earth. Now that's the devotion that he wants. And in Korea he receives it. In Collingswood we give it to him. And wherever we go on the face of this earth, we receive it. But beloved, God Almighty, the Almighty God who made the heavens and the earth, is going to take care of us here, just as he takes care of them there. Trust in the Lord. We must trust in the Lord and do good, and verily thou shalt be fed. And I have come back with a burden that the only thing and the one thing which is going to help this old world is just the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is what this world needs. And that is the one place through which the world can get some blessings from heaven. It's the preaching of just the message of everlasting life which brings you into the knowledge and into the fellowship of our blessed Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now this same great emphasis we find in the political world generally and it's tremendous disturbance to us all. The men who are running our country right now have got some strange ideas. And they're very strange to those of us who have our faith in God and believe in putting these spiritual considerations first. I mentioned to you people, I mentioned on the air, that in Korea, when I talk to these preachers, and to these people, one of the first things they said to me, Dr. McIntyre, what's wrong with your country? When I went down to Formosa and we talked to the brethren down there, they said, Dr. McIntyre, your country's confused. 
When I went down to Saigon and talked to the preachers there, and we did talk to quite a number of them, they said, uh, what's the trouble over in your part of the world? And everywhere I went, the people wanted to know what could possibly be wrong with us that we're fighting the communists and we're also helping them at the same time. Now that's the thing they couldn't understand. They just can't understand it out there. They're living next to it. South Korea has the demilitarized zone. There's 10 million under communism up there. There's 30 million under, uh, under South Korea, free, free Korea, and they do have freedom there. 10 million up there, 30 million down here. Nobody wants to live up there. They're slipping through as much as they can from up there, though very few ever get through anymore. And the land is full of refugees. And why under kingdom must the United States fight the communists and stand up to the communists and give us aid against communism and then turn around and help the communists and talk about recognizing the communist regimes and all this sort of thing. They cannot stand it. When I go down to Formosa, I think I told you I went way down in the southern part and they flew me down there to a lovely community and I had one of these cooperative united campaigns, the first one I've had in years. Thirteen churches joined together, turned out their evening church service to hear me speak. And here they came. And the same question was raised. We went to dinner with a lovely group of people and we were talking. They said, Dr. Mantar, what's the trouble over there in your country? What's the trouble? Well, why, why do they talk so friendly to the communists? Why do they want to help the communists? Well, you, what do you think I could say to them? What do you think I had to say to these people? And then I come back to my own country, and I'm confronted with the front pages of the papers, and here it is, U.S. bids the West spur East trade. The United States proposed today that the Western industrial powers make a joint effort to expand economic ties with Eastern Europe. And then it goes on to tell that we're taking the initiative to strengthen this trade with the communist world. Well, we've gotten the idea, ladies and gentlemen, that if we can just strengthen the communist world so they'll have some food, so they'll have some material things, that maybe they'll change, and maybe they'll have a different attitude toward us. And it's right here that this text of ours comes in with all of its mighty force. Man shall not live by bread alone. You can give him all the bread in the world, and his soul won't be satisfied. Man will not be satisfied with material possessions. It makes no difference how wealthy. It makes no difference what the material possessions may be. Mammon can't take the place of God. It's impossible. And you can't serve God and mammon. And here in the Western world, where we believe in God, and where we have the commandments of God, and where these commandments tell us that we're not to be complicated with evil and with wickedness. We are the people who must stand up for the righteousness that we have in the commandments of our God. Man shall not live by bread alone. He can't live by bread. Bread may take care of him. 
him for a few weeks, so far as the gnawing of his stomach is concerned, but bread will never take him over the chasm of hell or through the doors of death. Only salvation in the blood of Jesus Christ can give that to sinners. I don't know what it's going to take to stir our country and to wake up our country. I just don't know. But something's going to have to happen, beloved, because I have come back from my experience of 10 days in the Far East meeting our people. And I met the right kind of people. I wasn't talking to the big political leaders. I wasn't talking in those circles. I was talking down where you and I live where you get the general reaction and you get the attitude of the people generally. But I have come back scared to death from a human standpoint. I'm scared. I don't hesitate to tell you people. There's a storm brewing, and it's a frightful storm that's arising on the horizon of the east. And unless the American people wake up and realize that that storm is blowing our way, it's headed toward our shores. And unless we wake up and realize what is ahead of us, we are going to find ourselves under a mighty judgment of Almighty God, and which, in which as he used Nebuchadnezzar of old to discipline his people, we're going to see an evil power which repudiates God venting its might against a people who at one time put their faith in God and trusted him. And we're headed for a frightful outpouring of the wrath of God against a free nation. I was told when I got to Formosa where they have contact with the underground, do you know that in free China, they have their spies and they have their agents and they tell us that they're actually in the Red Guard itself. And they tell us about the conditions on the mainland and I got these various stories. But I was told by several different men that we have only until 1970. That by 1970, Red China will have the intercontinental ballistic missiles strong enough and powerful enough to go from the mainland of China and to strike Los Angeles on the target and to strike San Francisco on the target. And we have three more years of grace before that situation develops. And it is serious beyond all calculation and the people in the Far East are raising these questions and they have a right to raise these questions and I can imagine that every man, businessman, executive, any other man that goes through the Far East today, he runs into the same kind of questioning that I ran into this time and I had it this time more than I've ever had it before. Man doesn't live by bread alone. He lives by every word that comes out of the mouth of the Lord. And how I like the emphasis of that text upon every word. Every word that cometh out of the mouth of the Lord. Now I'm going to spend a few sermons with you on this book of Deuteronomy. I'm going to take some time and get into it. A lot of people say, well, that's the Old Testament. Beloved, the text I'm giving to you tonight is in the Old, text, Old Testament, and it's found in the book of Deuteronomy. There are a few little customs in the book of Deuteronomy, of course, that belong to the 
and commandments that God gave to them as a, as a communal people in those days, but the great spiritual realities that are ours today are in the book of Deuteronomy. And the book of Deuteronomy calls for the right kind of a heart attitude toward God. Your heart must be right. And as a man believeth in his heart, so is he. That was the words of our Lord Jesus Christ. And if thou shalt confess with thy mouth and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. And it's the heart of this nation, it's the heart of the people of this nation which must be reached with the sharp cutting sword of every word that cometh from the mouth of the Lord. You people will remember that when I came back from Berlin, I told you that they didn't give me press credentials over there at the Billy Graham Conference on Evangelism. And now I find that all around us there promoting the Billy Graham Conference on Evangelism, and I noticed that our Methodist church over here is going to have a big affair on it next Wednesday night. And they're going in now with this Billy Graham Evangelism in these churches that are still in the apostasy. And uh, we're being contrived with it. But for the first time in 35 years, I was denied the privileges of going in and reporting for our paper, The Christian Beacon. It was a very serious, very serious thing. And of course, the front that was used was that they didn't have room that I had applied too late. And that was the cover that was used publicly. But they betrayed themselves when Mr. Henry, the press man in charge, said that they had to rebuke me for my uh, uh, actions and my conduct that they didn't appreciate. And then he wrote and said he didn't like what I'd written. But ladies and gentlemen, they had plenty of room. They'd want to put me in, no problem at all. At, uh, they first said they had a hundred press. When we first went, they had a hundred seats. And, and then the next time we went, they had 140. And then the last time, the last reference was they had 172. So from the time they first denied us until the end was over, they added some 72 different reporters. And then some of the men that were supposed to be there never showed up. And I could add one of their places. And some of the men who did come, they left by the time I got there, so I could add one of their places. But I was kept out. And now we've got more to it. Richard Wormbrandt, 14 years in communist prisons in Romania. Sworn testimony given in Washington before our security committee. And I used it and we distributed it. Man who was cut. Man who bared his chest before the committee. The man who told what the communists were doing in the field of religion, how they completely controlled it. He was invited to the Berlin Conference by Dr. Graham. And then later his invitation was revoked and rescinded. When I got there and had our first little meeting with these gentlemen outside there, I asked them, I said, did, uh, did you cancel Mr. Wormbrandt's invitation? Yes. Why? Well, they said they wouldn't say. Mr. Wormbrandt this past week released a letter, which he has. And I want to read you from this because this gets into this bread and butter business again. Here is a letter quoting... Uh, the representative of the conference writing him about the press, quote, 
Pray much with us that other brethren from the eastern countries will be able to attend the World Congress on Evangelism. We have invited quite a number the eastern countries. Here you communist country. In many cases we have had to promise that the Congress would touch only on matters of church and religion and not on anything that would be considered politics. Many of the brethren from the eastern countries will be obtaining visas. Visas from the communist countries, you see, to come to Berlin. Only because they have assured their governments that this Congress will not be with anything that borders on political matters such as communism and so forth. Here is a letter to Wormbrandt from the official of the conference telling him that the uh, conference on evangelism had told the communist governments that if they would give visas, there would be no speeches dealing with communism on the conference on world evangelism. Here it is. And it's over their signature and on their stationery. Now listen to this one. It will not be permitted that any of the delegates from the eastern countries be interviewed by the western press. Beloved, I want to say to you that this action of evangelist Billy Graham and his setup over there in giving promises to the communist world concerning what would be said on his platform on evangelism is compromising and it's letting down the standards of freedom and so far as evangelism is concerned it is not the evangelism of the Holy Scriptures. And here it's all coming out. And some of you dear people in this church that have had a little sympathy with Billy Graham you better get your eyes open and you better begin to think that your pastor is right on these things because he is right. And when evangelist Billy Graham over there says your pastor can't have press credentials, the heart of it is that if Dr. McIntyre had been permitted to sit in a press conference, as I've been permitted to sit in the World Council press conference, I had enough sense and enough knowledge and enough intelligence to ask the questions which would have brought all these things out into the open. And furthermore, had I had the privileges of the press and could have gotten to these delegates from the Iron Curtain countries, I would have talked to them. And here they're saying that no Western pressman would be permitted to talk to these men from the Iron Curtain countries. And Wormbrandt has the documentation and he has the letters. And now he's made them available. And beloved, I say to you that you, if you're going to evangelize with the gospel of Jesus Christ, you've got to deal with the enemies of that gospel today. And there's no greater enemy of the gospel today than communism. Oh, man shall not live by bread alone. Don't make your concessions for bread. Don't make your concessions for advantage. Don't make your concessions. Stand where this blessed book places us and leaves us and puts us. And then let this blessed book and the God who gave it to 
take care of us and deliver us and bless us. Yes, they wouldn't let me have press credentials. They tried to cover it up with the idea that they didn't have room. No, ladies and gentlemen, there was a great deal more behind that than this. And you know, when Billy Graham announced he was going to go to Poland and that he was going to have evangelistic campaigns in Poland, beloved, there's a lot more behind that that's going to be coming out before very long. Certain commitments and certain understandings were had with the Polish Communist government, just as this Congress gave commitments and gave promises to the Communist governments. And here they came, out of Czechoslovakia, and out of Hungary, and out of East Germany, and out of Yugoslavia, and out of Castro's Cuba. And here they came to a world conference on evangelism with the full knowledge that commitments had been made that there would be no speeches there against communism. And you know what they had on their program? They used the word totalitarianism. And then you get the idea that communism is political. And that is a part of the commie line in Europe. It's a part of the commie line in the Far East. That if you get involved in these matters, you're getting political. And they're beginning to use that line against me in Washington, D.C. and on the radio. And I maintain that when you stand up against the awful communist menace as we do in the International Council of Christian Churches, it is because we believe in God. And we're standing for the great concepts of freedom and of everlasting life as we have it in the Bible and in the Word of God. As opposed to the awful darkness and the awful slavery and the awful materialism of the bread which the communists offer the world. They're offering the world bread. Communist bread. Communist security. Communist peace. And I've come out of the Far East where the Christians over there have put the loyalty to God and loyalty to his word above bread and above communism and above everything else for the sake of Jesus Christ. Beloved, these are days of great peril. <clears throat> They're days of great pain. They're great days of tremendous distress. They're days that try the souls of men. And they affect the bodies of men. They're days when only God can help us. Only God can help us. And Moses said, you people be a peculiar people. You don't have to have leek. You don't have to smell like garlic. You smell like the holiness of God. You don't have to have the flesh pots of Egypt. God will give you manna. God will give you quail. Don't complain against what God's giving you. Thank him for taking care of you. And put the commandments of your God first. Now let us pray. Our Father, we're thankful for this message. Oh, how we thank thee for the way thou dost lead us. And wilt thou bless the word? I said the poor have the gospel preached to them. And we know it and we see it. And we thank thee that we can be instruments for the preaching of this blessed word. And every word of God is pure. And he is a shield unto them that put their trust in him. We thank thee for bringing the pastor safely back. And 
Help us now as we make our great drive to help the poor and the needy, the orphans, the widows, and those who've taken a stand all over this world. Help us, Lord. For Christ's sake, amen.